Hi there, everyone. My name's Gwen Jones, and welcome once again to the I'm a Rotarian podcast, the weekly podcast where I introduce you to amazing people that proudly call themselves Rotarians. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be in a Rotary Club with more than 500 members? Really, 500? Well, I'm about to introduce you to Molly Carney, a woman who went from a club of 500 members to a respectable club of 40 in just a few years. Now, let me be perfectly clear, this was two separate clubs, not the same one. But imagine the difference, 500 to 40. So join me, won't you, as we meet Molly Carney this week on the I'm a Rotarian podcast. And as always, thank you so much for joining me. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce Molly Carney to the audience. It's great to have her and her experience, not only with our club, but uh, she's been around for a while in some very big clubs. So I'm excited to hear her perspective on all this. Hey, Molly, how are you doing? I'm good. Good. Thank you for inviting me to do this. Oh, you're very welcome. No problem whatsoever. And of course, we have to, I have to start things off right off the bat with uh, how's your life during COVID-19, my dear? How are you doing? Well, I can tell you that I am very glad to have moved out of the big city a year ago and to be Uh up here on spectacular Whidbey Island because there's plenty of places to walk outside with uh, more than enough social distance. And um, so I'm I'm grateful to be here, very grateful to be here. So I'm fine. Uh, My time is spent um, being concerned about many other people and wondering what I can do to help. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, me too. I, I know that I have somebody who's not necessarily supposed to be out, so I've gotten to doing the great outdoors kind of thing as well as from dog walking, but it is kind of surreal out there, but yes, it, is, it, is. it is easy to be six feet apart, which is nice. Yep. So uh, let's, let's put things on a happier note. Let's talk about rotary for a bit. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah. Why not? Let's do it. So what's your earliest recollection of rotary? What was your first experience? When, when, did, when did you I... discover rotary? I joined Rotary in, I believe, 2014. I was the executive director of Evergreen Treatment Services, which is a large nonprofit in Seattle that has uh, several lines of business. Our main line of business is helping people who are addicted to heroin and prescription opiates stabilize and earn their recovery. And then we also run a very large street-based case management and outreach team called the REACH team that provides street, again, on the street uh, case management and connection with people who are homeless with substance use disorders. Wow. So I had assumed the executive director position in 2013. And as part of my work in exploring what to do with the organization uh, under my helm, I encountered a lifelong Rotarian uh, who was advising us around starting a philanthropy arm of our organization. And he said, oh, you got to join Rotary. Come with me to a meeting. So (laughs) he had invited me to attend the Seattle Four Club. And Seattle Four, the four means that it is the fourth Rotary Club that was founded. Um, It's a huge club. It has about 
It's like high society in the rotary world, I guess, right? Well, it is. No, they're very prideful about being the fourth club. Uh, There are about 500 members there. It meets in downtown Seattle. So there are a lot of people who are connected with not only the business community, but elected officials, ambassadors, nonprofits, uh, chiropractors, technical people. I mean, it's it's an amazing swath of the community in Seattle. Wow. So after attending a couple of meetings, um, I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely have to join this, this club because the, the, it was very clear right off the bat that this group of 500 people were uh, very attuned to what was going on in the community, what the needs were, and how to position the club to uh, try to meet some of those needs as, as best they could. So even so, at, with, so with 500 people, it was a very active, proactive, go out, get things done kind yes. of, kind of group. So it wasn't yeah, with, just. With 500 people, it, it had a very important committee structure. That was okay. the only way to manage that many people. But the weekly meetings were a full bore production. They were amazing. They were incredible. They had a, a standing process. The meetings were held in uh, large hotels. And uh, we, I was going to say, was, it's like, how, where do you meet with 500 people? There's conventions and meetings and stuff that don't have 500 people. Exactly. Well, we met in the convention center for one. Um, it was it was really the ballrooms of many of the large hotels in downtown Seattle. So the West End and the Sheraton, et cetera, et cetera. So um, each of the meetings had uh, a very, a very kind of rigid doesn't isn't the isn't the best term but it had a set uh, agenda and timeline and to be invited to speak at the club was really quite an honor they had yeah, the 500 dalai, people yes they had the dalai lama come and speak they've had um you wow. know federal officials they've had international figures uh it's really a remarkable um opportunity to, again to hear what's going on in the community so uh, it was an easy sell for me to join that club because I, I wanted to know what was going on. I was already in a non, you know, running a nonprofit and, and devoted to uh, contributing to the community, and I, I wanted to learn more. I was new to this, uh, that level of position that I had assumed. Right. So in 2013, I was uh, sponsored and joined the club. That was my first exposure to it. Wow. Well, I, I. You know, it, most of the stories that I get on the podcast is I saw the wheel at the basketball court or I saw the wheel on it. You know, Molly, your first experience is 500 people in the Dalai Lama. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a little, it, you know, wow. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get to hear the Dalai Lama, but that was raised a number of times. It's like, do you know what an honor it is to, you know, be able to hear some of the people who come and present at this club? Yeah. Gosh. And so they don't have a, so four obviously is still around, obviously. Yes. Um, so they don't have a permanent building. So it was like every single week you got an email saying, it's almost like a speakeasy. So this week we're meeting at the yes. Sheraton. And next although, week. Although with that size of a group, they had to plan it months in advance. So okay. we had a schedule, but you would, you could get a, um, a text message that day reminding you which hotel that it was going to be in. So it was, it was really, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, um, yeah. so the, you know, the, the ballrooms themselves had probably, I don't know, 30 or 40, let's see, each table probably holds 10. So it probably had 50 tables in it. And you oh could go God. around and meet, you know, different people during the half hour of socializing every week. And I just met some incredible people. I mean, so there know. was still some intimacy. 500 people yes. can still be intimate if it's done 
well, I guess? Absolutely. Yes. One of the things that um, they did was to encourage all new members to join a committee because that's really the only way to kind of get your feet on the ground. Right. Um, Otherwise, it could be very intimidating. Yeah. Exactly. They also had a special program for first year members that um, they had a morning version and an afternoon version. So it was once a week you could attend. They encouraged you to attend, I think, three or four meetings during the year. And um, so they had a breakfast meeting that I went to at a, at a different club and people from within the club would present to the new members about either different committees or, you know, expectations of what Rotary was about. Um, it was a really a great close knit um, onboarding process wow. to a club that was that large and also to the organization itself and what it stands for. Amazing. So you kept that yep. intimacy. So uh, I guess the next question being, what made you first want to join Rotary? Well, I don't know. That seems yeah. that seems to be like you've already handled that one. Is there anything you can add that made you want? It just made you feel, it sounds like there was intimacy. It sounds like you, you felt like you were going to be a part of something and not in a mass of something. Well, I was, a, I mean, I honestly, I was a little uncertain joining it, of course. Okay. I mean, this, this club had a, had a large reputation in the community. I was excited to join it, but you know, there's, am I going to fit in? Who are these people? You know, what, are, what are exactly do they do, et cetera. So, I mean, it took a little while, but those, those smaller meetings really helped a lot with a club that was that large. And yeah. then, you know, like all Rotary Club meetings, sitting down and introducing yourself to someone, people are remarkably friendly and open and eager to know who you are. And to, um, it's just a, it's a great organization for that. So I met some really fabulous people across cool. a number of different industries and, you know, having different roles in the community. And it was really, a, it was a tremendous learning experience, well worth the time that it took. These were lunchtime meetings in downtown Seattle. So they actually took, you know, by the time you drive into downtown Seattle, fight right. for parking, right. go to the hotel, have an hour and a half meeting. It was about two and a half hours every week. Wow. So as an executive director, that's a huge commitment, but yeah. um, it, it paid off royally um, in ways that you will hear as, as we continue talking today. Wow. Okay. So then any other member of your family in Rotary or are you the, are you the only one? No, I'm, I'm it. Do you have uh, brothers, sisters, all that kind of stuff? I have four older brothers. And they told me a lot of what to do, but they never told me to join Rotary. (laughs) (laughs) Four older brothers. Well, as somebody who knows your husband, uh, boy, talk about it. You never know what that poor man had to go through to to be able to marry you with four older brothers. Oh, my God. There's some stories there, but it's not suitable for family. (laughs) So what does being a Rotarian mean to you then? Well, for one of the things that I cherish about Rotary is, in um, part of my pitch with people who say, what the heck is Rotary, is I, <laughs> I say that it's kind of an umbrella organization. We do a little bit of everything. So we don't just do, you know, one industry or healthcare or food or whatever. We, right. we do it all. And uh, the beauty of that is that the club members bring that diversity of interests into the club. So the clubs are rich with information about what's going on in the community for that reason. Right. And as, as a member, you can, you can both pick what you want to be involved with and potentially uh, encourage or recruit other club members to help out in the same way. Mm-hmm. So somebody who never knew about opioid use disorder, for example, was, has been a, a really perfect example of that. 
Uh, wow. So it's, that's what it's meant to me is it's a way to find out what's going on in the community on a humanitarian level um, and to participate in that in a really meaningful and powerful way. Yeah. Awesome. So what about funny? What about funny? <laughs> what about funny? What, what's been, what was one of the, now, now I know what's kind of funny. Oops. Is I, my chat just dinged in everybody. Sorry about that. Um, one thing that I, that I find really interesting is now you've gone from a 500 person club to our 40 person club. Woohoo! Yeah. You know, which is about the size of one of your committees, I guess. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, so, um, what's been what's been a funny memory, either with the big group or the or the little group? Well, actually, it was the same set of circumstances in both because I have I have a distinct memory from the Seattle Club around this, and and another one actually involving you, Gwen Jones, oh, uh, from God. the Rotary Club. But it's you know it's when something goes haywire during the meeting itself. Mm -hmm. You know, in the Seattle Four Club, it was this room full of you know probably 450 people, and the president was up there, and the speaker hadn't shown up yet. So he had to start ad-libbing. It's like, what am I gonna, what am I right. gonna do? And finally, he looked out the audience. He goes, "I'm dying up here. Will somebody help me out?" So the microphones started circulating in the audience, and people were telling hysterical jokes. Oh, that's so, great! Yeah, and on in the Rotary Club of Whitby West Side, it was a similar event where something happened. Things got delayed, and uh, a piano and song broke out that was just hysterical. It was. That's right. I think Doug and I started, yeah, singing something. It was and hysterical. it was probably the same type of thing. It was like, something's not working. Somebody isn't here. So it's a great example, again, of the talent that also comes to the, um, to the clubs. People are just, it's a great group of people. Or it proves we're all a bunch of hams, which also could be. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> could be very well. So what's been your most inspirational experience in Rotary? What's, what's, what's been something that's lasted all these years? Well, um, as I mentioned, I was the executive director of this large organization. This was at the beginning of the uh, opioid epidemic in the United mm -hmm. States. And I was running a program for people addicted to heroin and prescription opiates. And I was- Tough job. Uh, well, I was concerned, it, it was a tough job, but I was also a little, I was concerned about, you know, what do you say to people? People say, what do you do? You know, it's like, oh, I work with people who are addicted to heroin. Um, I wasn't sure what that would be like because before the epidemic, um, People with substance use disorders were, um, in many places they still are, considered pariahs of the community and really mm -hmm. um, viscerally hated on some level by many people. So, Well, they're thought of more as criminals than people with a health a, issue. Exactly. That's right. right. It's the criminal justice versus the public health. So Correct. when yeah. I joined Rotary, I thought, oh, my heavens, I'm going to be asked what I do with all of these people involved in the business community. You know, I didn't know how, ah. where people would fall on the spectrum of their um, reaction to what I do. So right. I gingerly started saying, I run an organization that treats nearly 3,000 people who are addicted to heroin and prescription opiates. And I would stop and pause and kind of <laughs> wait to see what like, people would say. Wait, wait for the other proverbial shoe to fall down, right? Yeah. yeah. And okay. and what 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 sh shocked me, and it, it, in retrospect, it shouldn't, but it, it indicates how I didn't know the organization. People immediately, I mean, without hesitation, would say, "Oh my heavens, thank you so much for what you're doing." Wow. I mean, not a second hesitation. Wow, thank you so much for what you're doing. Right. So I, I mean, that was, for me, that was a very profound experience. It, it helped me uh, with our agency at a time when there was a public health 
crisis there still is, but this epidemic was growing. It really uh, strengthened my willingness to become much more public about what our organization did and what the underlying problem was. So I ended up speaking a lot Mm -hmm. uh, publicly in large part because of the reception that I got in Rotary. Really? And, yes. And um, very early on, I had I was invited to speak to the downtown Seattle club. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not comparing myself to the Dalai Lama, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was asked by um, someone who heard me speak at a community meeting if I'd be willing to consider talking about this. Because again, the numbers were just, um, you know, it was the beginning of the, the hockey stick, kind of like what we're seeing with the coronavirus. Right. right. And I said, of course, I'd be happy to do that. So during my first year, I had an opportunity to speak to this club. And um, again, I was, um, I just didn't know what kind of reaction I would get. Right. Uh, but I rehearsed, I mean, this is a full board production in a, in a room that large, of course. So I carefully crafted the speech and, you know, et cetera. So I, I basically gave an overview of the opioid epidemic and spoke to the club about what was needed, which Mm -hmm. was really a lot more treatment availability. It continues to be, that's what the problem is. Um, So I, I did this talk and I really wasn't kind of sure what would happen. I got a number of questions at the end of it, which was great. There was was always a Q and a period after the presentation. Absolutely. Yeah. And then over the next several months, I was invited to speak like everywhere. And it was unbelievably helpful, um, mm-hmm. not only for our agency, but really to help that community understand the, the scientific facts behind the opioid epidemic. Wow. So, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking credit for what I'm about to say, but this was a piece of it, is that there was so much opportunity for discussion and presentation with people who ended up being in, in influential roles in the community right. that I was able to watch over the course of the next few years, the uh, sentiment towards people with substance use disorders change. Wow. It went from, oh my heavens, these people are horrible and get right. away to mm-hmm. people really saying, what, what can we do? Right. Part of that, of course, was that the epidemic was so broad, it was hitting everybody. Um, but people were eager, eager, eager for information about that. So it was a tremendous opportunity, I, I think, to help the community in, in Seattle, again, understand what the realities were behind opioid use disorder. And I, I, I'm grateful for that. And I know that our clients and patients benefited from that because opportunities for additional help opened up as a result of that. Well, and I think, you know, it's like so many problems that need solutions. It's getting the problem in front of people that can actually do something about it. I mean, right. we, we get in clusters all the time of, of people that, you know, talk to each other that are both have the same wants or need. There's nobody in the room that can actually do something with the information. And so it sounds like to me, those in that room of those 500 people, there were people in there that actually could add something to the situation. And so it wasn't just to commiserate. It was actually to go forward. So awesome. So then uh, getting back on the lighter side of things, since you've been in Bellevue and you've been, that is, I'm sorry, Seattle. Seattle. And you've been, wow, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) I should know better. That's where I was raised was Bellevue. I should know the difference between Bellevue and Seattle. Um, So then what's your favorite pin? You got to have a rotary pin or two since your days. I have and a is few there... rotary pins. Okay. You know, I, I really like just the basic rotary pin. Because You're a classic. It, uh, aren't I? Aren't I, though? 
<laughs> no, but it's, it's universally recognized and it's, uh, it's small enough that it, um, it can be a conversation piece without being too sort of advertisey, if you will. Um, so that, that's the one I that never I thought really of it like. that way. Yeah. 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 It's subtle. I, it's subtle. But, but visible. I have a, a friend of mine, Lynn, who has one that's just like microscopically small and it's on a magnet and she can put it in just like these, like just on the collar of her t-shirt or something like that. And then, and it is, it's one of those things that it's like subtle. And mm -hmm. if you notice it, and then if you do notice it, she's happy to talk forever about it, but yep. it's just kind of this subtle understated, mm -hmm. the simple black dress of rotary pins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the, the uh, philosophical type of things. Um, oh, look, there's some light on me. Now I can see myself. Um, the four-way test. We've talked about it. You know, it's now there's literally a book being written about it, all this kind of stuff. What does the four-way test mean to you? And how do you use it in your life? Um, I, the four-way test is, has really been how I've operated my life anyway, and I think that honestly, that's one of the things that drew me to the organization. I mean, my, who I am is defined by fairness and mm -hmm. giving. I mean, I, you know, the, the job that I did, I think is, is evidence of that. So the four-way test for me articulates uh, pro-social behaviors that I deeply believe in um, and kind of codify, if you will, reasons for staying connected and staying generous, even in the face of what may appear to be, you know, difficult circumstances like what we're in right now with coronavirus. Right. Um, so for me, it's really about community rather than individuals. And okay. um, that is, I think, uh, an extremely important way for us to work our way out of some of the divisiveness that this country finds itself in right now thinking about community first. So then service above self, that's the motto. So we've got that four-way test, but then service above self is supposed to link onto that. What do you, what do you think that means to you? Well, it's, I think it's the same, it's the same issue. It's about community first, individual mm -hmm. second. So what can I do to help rather than what's in it for me? Okay. Yeah. It's funny. There's, there's been to these particular questions, there's been, these long almost soliloquies of the four-way test and how I added in my life and you know these very almost philosophical discussions I've had with guests and other people are, are like yourself that it's like look just the way I run my life it's pretty yeah. easy it's like here's the rules and if I and it's important to check myself and if others aren't in that kind of criteria then I'll check them out the door as well mm -hmm, <laughs> it's like mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So, um, what do you think is the? Oh, sorry, I'm out of. I'm out of schedule. I'm out of. I'm. I'm sorry. I heard dingy dings. Was that you? Oh, it's my. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's phones. That's there. okay. I'm just making sure. This is. Hey, we're we're in the fly of the Zoom world here. I like it, on the fly. So, um, there's lots of Rotary clubs, and I know this is a question that's going to be fun for you because I happen to know for a fact you get around, young lady. <laughs> And I mean that in a rotary visiting kind of way. <laughs> so there are clubs all over the world. Where have mm -hmm. you gone to and where would you like to go? Well, I haven't Where haven't you it. placed a flag? 
Well, I've had the I've had the honor of being able to to give a number of flags, um, which has been really fun. I haven't been to as many um, other clubs as I would like to, so that's okay. something that's on my agenda. After I joined Rotary Club, I was running this you know crazy busy organization, so I didn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but uh, since I left that position a year ago, I've been able to uh, visit some. They're mostly small clubs that are out there. There's very few that are like the Seattle Four that are that are that large. Yeah, but, I was going to um, say you kind of you yeah. kind of started at the mountaintop and then right. <laughs> have trickled your way down to other clubs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's really fun. I went to, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii this winter and went to one of the clubs on the big island. And, it, you know, it's just, again, the people are just open and friendly immediately. Oh, you're from another club. I mean, that, that happened to me when I walked into the Rotary Club of Whidbey Westside as well. Oh, welcome, you know. It's right, so right. You. So, um, so I've been able to visit a few um, clubs domestically what i'd really like to do is go to some international clubs and just see what that's like so when we're all allowed to travel again what international club yes. do you want to go see shoot any of them in a in a non-english speaking country i think would be interesting um you know i haven't been to even any in canada yet i'd love to go to some in canada you, i mean that's not come on girl that's I like know, two and a half hours away <laughs> I know. I'm kind of boring in my life. <laughs> You're retired now. That should be a given. But well, so, and what's such yeah. a bummer is that we were all supposed to go to Harrison Hot Springs here, know, like within a couple of weeks. So, yep. well, yep. Canada, to my knowledge, is not going anywhere. So, yes, well, it'll yeah, it'll be there. So, from Canada to the around the world, what do you think the oppression is of Rotary? What do you, what do you think people think Rotary is? What's the impression out there? Well, um, I, I, you know, I can only share what my impression was before I got to know the organization, which is a place to start. Bunch, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a bunch of old white men sitting around, you know, visiting. <laughs> Sorry to be kind of candid about that, but that was, that was what I thought. <laughs> That's okay. We've, you, I've, I've been, I have talked to quite a few of those old white men and they've decided to say old white haired men makes them feel better. <laughs> But it's, yeah, I, I, I feel you. I feel you. Okay. Yeah. So I think one of the great things that's happening right now with what Rotary is its efforts to diversify. Yes. In, in many, many ways um, with women, with communities of color, with younger people. And um, with the, with that happening, this is going to be an incredible organization. It, it really can. can. An incredible organization. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, I, I, I take a lot of pride that our club alone now has, you know, Jane Hilton, who was one of the first female district governors, but I did a interview with Cliff Ridgeway, who has been in Rotary since 78, 79, and his club was one of the first clubs to actually sue Rotary to have women in the Isn't club. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Yeah. So That's it's just, you know, it. So these are just people that we go and because we meet in the evening, go and have a glass of wine with. But doing these podcasts, I'm like, wow, we've got like some real history in yeah. our club. So yeah. and and yeah. so it's I think it started way back, obviously, in the 70s and, and 80s. But I think as far as clubs go, we, we you know, our organizations go, I should say. We, we're doing we're doing our part to keep the diversity going, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that the Seattle Club I, I did, did very effectively was they had a really active Rotaract club 
Ah. And, um, it was just a feeder of young people, you know, recent college graduates who would come and they were, you know, tech workers working in downtown Seattle and they right. just came right into the club and they had so much energy and so much, um, they had so much to contribute. It, it was you know, everything from technological expertise to creative ideas to, I mean. So they're not, so they work. didn't have to turn around and teach people Zoom all week. Right. In this age of, in this new age of zoom, (laughs) (laughs) you had, you had lots of IT guys and gals available. Oh my God. So how do you think, um, Rotary is different today than when you joined? I I think the explicit focus on diversification of club members, that's how I think it's different. Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Are we making Mm -hmm. progress? Yes, we are. And it's just become a a more open point of discussion Mm -hmm. in uh, the clubs, you know, at the club level and at the organization level. And it it, it has to happen if this organization is going to remain relevant and uh, help with the national and international issues that we are all facing. Things like climate change or water, sanitation, food. I mean, those, you know, medical care. I would, and on the environmental tone, I would say if, and I'm I'm a big person, I'm trying to find the good in all situations. And if there is a good in COVID-19 is that it has not, it has been the most healing moment for our world that we've had in a very long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I know people are out of work and I know these are very scary times, but if, you know, the earth is speaking to us in a simple way by saying, thank you for the fresh air, you know, thank you for giving right. us a few moments to kind of clean some of this stuff up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe it's, maybe I'm just being too, you know, naive and simple, but to be able to see all the way out into the islands, there, looking out at in uh, LA, you know, you can see, all the way out to Catalina Island and you can see all the way into the mountains, yeah. you know, our well, beautiful I, cascades have been breathtaking lately. Yes, they, have. they have. I appreciate the organization's focus on health generally, which includes climate, but also mm-hmm. again, water, sanitation, and, and just human well-being, food, that those kinds of things. When so, it all comes down to it, food, shelter, clothing yeah. is what, it, what everybody wants. For yeah. themselves and their kids, yeah. be red, blue, that's right, eagle, Kiwanis, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really kind of the basics, yeah. So, um, where do you think Rotary can grow in the future then? What do you think could make us bigger, better, stronger, all that good stuff? Well, I, uh, I think the, the diversification trajectory can get us to the place where we can become even more relevant than we are now. I mean, mm-hmm. Rotary's role in, in polio eradication has been incredibly profound. We could do that with other causes as well. Right. If we have enough members and if we have enough um, you know, infrastructure to support those kinds of, of activities. Right. And climate change is going to be huge for certainly for the rest of our lives and for who knows how many generations thereafter. I would love to see Rotary get involved in climate change. Would love to see that. Yeah. You would, yeah, I'd like it. I mean, we're supposedly that close to this whole polio thing. Let's see what mm-hmm. we can do. Yeah, let's. So you're sitting around somewhere and somebody's noticed that little pin. I have my pin on somewhere. There it is. Okay. Um, and ask you about Rotary. What's your elevator speech? What do you tell somebody? Why that's, you know, Hey, my name's Gwen. Why would I want to be in Rotary? Why does somebody want to be in Rotary? 
Yeah, I, well, my elevator pitch is Rotary is a service organization that um, doesn't focus on any one thing in the community, but rather it's, its umbrella in its structure and addresses a variety of, of community needs. Uh, in, in addition, the club uh, not only does things in the community like you know, name your project, uh, cleaning up the local elementary school grounds or mm -hmm. uh, helping the senior resources deliver food or a fundraiser that they need assistance with, et cetera. But we can also uh, contribute in a meaningful way like this club just did uh, this week with, um, with what's going on in the community. So right. you know, Gwen, that we were able to, because of the coronavirus shutdown that's happened, we as a club decided to reallocate some of our local project funds that had been earmarked for I think six different projects but yep. were basically in park because none of us can do anything. Uh, we, we reallocated those funds for two food organization and one shelter organization if you will in the community so we were able to contribute $40,000 directly wow. to three nonprofits that are, are helping people make sure they have enough food given the what's happened with unemployment um, and also to help with bill deferral with things like electricity bills and uh, heat and those kinds of things. So, And I think that's something, is. yeah, I was going to say, and I think that's something that people are going to, I, I understand that, you know, we're getting checks that some, you know, a large amount of people are going to get a check in the mail, but that isn't there today. And we're recording this right around the first. We're March 31st. Tomorrow is the first. And for a lot of people, that means mortgage. That means rent. That means electrical bills. That means, you know, and those checks may not be out to some people for two, three, four weeks yet. So that part, I think, is the, the next one in line. And food, shelter, clothing. So we, I think we're working on food, but I think shelter is one that's gonna sneak up on us i think very soon yeah yeah so in, as part of my elevator pitch that's that's really what i say and then i also say it's a great place to meet like-minded people ah. concerned about the community and who want to give so yeah. if that's your shtick this is your organization <laughs> that's a pretty good shtick yeah exactly <laughs> if you would like to do something that will you know I, I i often say that when people come up to me and say why are you in rotary i'm like because i never have to question if I'm doing enough or doing mm -hmm. my part. Mm -hmm. Never. Oh, that's, that's nicely said. Yeah. yeah. I never have to question it. And, you know, we, we as a group did have our first big Zoom meeting. So there we are. It was great to see everybody else's face, but it was also great to know that we may have been in our own little isolation chambers, but as a group, we were still doing stuff. As yeah. a group, we're still out there doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Just a new technological wave of way of doing things. Any last thoughts, Miss Molly? I don't Any think so. I, mean, I, I, appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you putting these stories together because I think, I, I imagine that it's a great way for people who don't know much about Rotary to get a glimpse under yeah, the hood, so absolutely. Speak, about who we are and what we do and why. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I've told you my story and uh, Rotary has really been incredibly helpful to an organization that I worked with in ways that I never anticipated and uh, moving into a new community. It's been a tremendous way to, to meet new people and to make new friends and to find out what's going on in a new location. Um, so I, uh, so I'm all in. Yay. Well, you're my friend, Molly. So thank you for <laughs> And you mine. <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you so much for doing the uh, podcast. And I guess I'll see you on Zoom next week for our meeting. Yes. Sounds good. Thanks, Gwen. You bet. Wow. Somehow, 500 people seemed downright intimate once you broke it all down. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining me and telling us your wonderful adventures from 500 to 40 and everywhere in between. Those 10 questions made 11 because of COVID-19 are always a lot of fun, and it was great to hear your perspective on them. Well, podcast land, looks like we've come to the end of this show. So the usual commercial, if you don't mind. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend. They can get it anywhere they get their podcasts. Go there, subscribe, download, rate us, all that good stuff. Every time you rate us, remember, that makes it easier for the next person to find our podcast. Also, I am always on the hunt of a new Rotarian to interview and to give my questions to. So if you've got a Rotarian that I should know about, please let me know. It's an easy email, rotarianpod, all one word, at gmail.com, rotarianpod at gmail.com. I do answer all my emails, maybe not as fast as I should, but I'll definitely get back to you. Okay then, that's about it for this week. So until next week, take care of yourself and the world around you. And I'll hear you next time on the I'm a Rotarian podcast. Have a wonderful week, everybody.